And then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And he blessed them and he said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God, this morning, we thank you that we are made in your image. God, we thank you that you made us good and you called us good and very good. And God, when we couldn't measure up, when we couldn't, when we couldn't reach the perfection of who you are, you made a way for us to know you. God, you made a way for, for us to be image bearers of you. God, you made a way for us to be more like you through your son, Jesus. And so we thank you, not just for, for the cross, but for the resurrection. We thank you for the new life. We thank you that again, we can partner with you. God, that we are called in your likeness, that we are gifted in your likeness. God, we thank you for how you have loved us and who you have called us to be. And as we begin to look forward to Easter, we set our eyes on the cross, but not just on the cross and the crucifixion, but God, to to the good news that is the resurrection and all that it means for us. God, we thank you that that is the good news, that that is the miracle work that you do. God, of all the ways that you bless us and and gift good things to us and and challenge and change us, God, we thank you for this one thing today, for our salvation, sure in you and who you are and all you have done. So God, we thank you this morning for who you are and how you have loved us. And we thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. Good morning, everyone. Look how many faces. Turn around. You can't. I don't know that we're allowed to high five or handshake yet still. I don't know. But turn around. Do a wave. Good morning to our stream. I love you guys. Don't tell everyone here, but you're my favorite. We love having you tuning on. If you're on Facebook, if you're on YouTube, even if you're listening on the podcast later, we love you. Church online platform. It's so good to have you with us. So good. Amazing, rowdy young adults over there. Sit down. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hey, uh, I'm excited to be here. What a beautiful Sunday after yesterday's just like absolute downpour at six o'clock. Uh, today is shaping up to look like a beautiful day out there. I only note that it was at six o'clock because uh, some of our awesome young adults celebrated their engagement with an engagement party last night and uh, right when the party was supposed to start in the backyard, the rain came down. But that was okay. We still had a beautiful time. So we love Brock and Ev. Anyway, that's not on the notices, but we love them. They're getting married soon, so that's exciting news happening in the life of the church. Uh, I've got some announcements, uh, but one of the key things I need to remind you to do, if you have not already on your way in the door, please check in 
teams especially, uh, we're bad at this, so if you are rostered on something, please make sure you do that. But everybody should have been uh, checked in. It's for our COVID safety. Uh, we just need to know that you were here with us this morning. And if you're online, we'd love you to check in as well. The best way for you to do that is actually with the church online uh, app, with the Church Centre app. If you haven't downloaded it, we talk about it so often. <laughs> if you all download it, then we can stop talking about it. It's a great app though, and it, uh, it helps you stay really connected to what's happening in the life of the church. I will shout out to the young adults around the place. If you have a look, there's a couple of events been added that you can register for now. Uh, you can pre-check in your kids for kids ministry via that, and then you just go out there and scan the QR code and you jump to the front of the line. There's so many benefits of having, uh, having the app. So if you are tech-savvy enough to have a smartphone, then you are tech-savvy enough to have the Church Centre app. So uh, get that downloaded and keep up to date with what's happening in the life of the church. You'll also find there the easiest ways to give um, online and in person, we're asking uh, that the best way for you to give is to give electronically so that we're not exchanging money because it's journey. Uh, but if you would like to, you can still, um, if you prefer to give in cash, you can do that down the back uh, on your left of the middle door there on your way out this morning. You can give that way. All right. Caught all of that? Here's the only thing that I need to tell you. Good Friday Church is at 9 a.m., Everyone say 9 a.m. And now I'm going to give you another hot tip. Sunday is when daylight savings ends. So for all, of the, for all of those of us who are still, for now, kid-free, what a delight. We get an extra hour of sleep. Parents, I'm really sorry. You will not get an extra hour of sleep. And in fact, your children will be up at some extra ridiculous time demanding their chocolate. But church will be on at 10 a.m. according to the changed time. But if you have a smartphone, again, it'll update that for you. But uh, church on Good Friday, 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sunday. Um, And Good Friday service will also be followed by uh, the prayer walk, which Pastor Jackie and Pastor Steve um, can give you lots of info about if you're interested in being a part of that um, with some of the churches in town. Amazing. Got all that? Brilliant. Why don't you uh, stand? We're going to continue in our... Oh, actually, before you do. I just looked over there, and I just remember Kim's here. And I just could have forgotten, because uh, in my mind, Kim's part of the furniture. So I'm going to introduce her now, and she can get up and pray herself into preaching in a minute. I have to get up and introduce her again. We love Kim Smith. Uh, She's a legend. Um, The young adults and young people have loved her for a long time, and now I feel like we have to share her with everyone, which is fine, I guess. Uh, But she's great. She's a great friend of ours. She works at the BEV with the legend Pastor Rob, Uh, and it's a great privilege to have her in the house sharing with us this morning, so I'm sure you will make her feel very welcome in what is her second home. I don't care about all those other churches you preach at. This is the one. Second home. Very good. All right, now would you like to stand with us and uh, we're going to pray even online. You can join us as well. God, we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you that uh, we can come freely and worship you. Uh, We know that all over the world there's so many reasons right now where um, your church can't gather in this way. And so we don't take for granted that we are able to gather this way uh, and worship you and bring our needs to you, bring our burdens to you. And so we just, we also this morning just bring before you the needs of this body, uh, of this part of of your church, uh, and we ask that you would be moving, God. There are so many needs. Um, There is sickness, and there is pain, and there is heartache, uh, and there is uncertainty, 
And so, God, we just pray into that and ask that there would be a touch of your presence. Um, God, we know that you are capable and able of doing more than we could ask, think, or imagine. God, we know that you are not only hear our prayers, but you answer them. And so we just ask this morning that you would answer our prayers as we lift them up to you together. And God, we thank you for the things we can celebrate as a family also. We thank you for young couples getting married. We thank you for uh, the babies due to be born this year. God, we thank you for, uh, for all it means to be a part of your family, the good and the bad. And we thank you that there is a time and a season for everything. So this morning, we just come before you uh, and we praise you for who you are and how you have loved us. Amen. God, an incredible thing it is, Lord, to be reminded of the uh, transformation that you bring in our life through Jesus' death on the cross, from death to life. The old passes away, all things become new. God, this incredible invitation you, you extend to us to keep being changed, to look more like you as your spirit does its work in us. From darkness to light, from despair to hope, hopefulness, Lord, from pain to healing, from grief to joy, you are a transforming God. We're grateful for you and we love you. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. How are you all? And good morning. Hello at home. Good to see you. Cheers with your cup of coffee or whatever you're doing in your lounge room or your bedroom. Aren't you glad we can't see you? A few people just went, <laughs> got a bit self-conscious there. Um, just as I was standing in worship, um, Harry was down the front and his friend Jeremy came in and they did this really gorgeous kind of like, <laughs> like just sort of like frizzed at each other. They didn't say anything. Their face just lit up and he was like, this is my friend. That's how I feel about being at Sale Baptist Church. There's a little bit of frizzing going on here for me. It is my home away from home. It's a long way away from home, but it is a bit of a second home. I do love coming here and they have my drinks ready and like they love me. You love me. I love you back. It's great to be here. So I don't know. It feels like last time I was here was about 17 years ago. I don't know. Give or take. Was it last year? I think it was last year. But we all know how long last year was. And so it does feel like a long time ago, but it is good to be back. I'm a little bit disappointed because you went ahead and inducted a pastor without me. I thought I was your pastor inducting person. We were on a roll there for a little bit. But I'm really excited that Steve has joined your team. And I know that Bill Brown would have blessed you when he came to um, be part of that service. And he was also very blessed to be here as well. It's not his home. It's mine. But he was blessed to be here too. Okay, just, just keep that. Okay, keep that sorted. But it has been a year um, and a, a, a lot. But um, at the BUV Resource and Support Hub, we have still been business as usual, although usual has meant that we've all been serving and working remotely. But I, for one, have been really um, quite felt the privilege of being part of a team that was functioning so well through some really difficult times. We've got over 40 people on staff through, all, through the um, Support Hub and 
all of our um, affiliates. And, and so every, every week we got to be online together to do devotion and, and um, meet with one another, which in real life, we're kind of, it's only a bit of that team that gets together because we're all out on the road doing various things. So in some ways, it was a really uh, enjoyable time of coming together and, and connecting more regularly with one another. And particularly those of us who are out on the road or um, regionally operating, it was nice to feel that sense of connection. But of course, we're all sort of eager to be able to be doing more of this and be in real life. So I'm really happy to be back out on the road. Um, but the the BUV and the support hub, we are all about exactly what we've all been always been about, and that is about in, you know supporting, encouraging, equipping our churches to flourish where you are. And it's been great to see you amongst other churches of the 250 plus across our state who've done such an incredible job of continuing to adapt and adjust and then adapt and adjust and then adapt and adjust all the way through this season and still be having an impact in your community and still seeing, you know, disciples raised and, and people encouraged towards faith in Jesus and the, the community that you're planning in impact in, impacted. So good job you, but also we are still here cheering you on and love to be of any benefit and support that we can in that. Now, at the end of 2019, which as I said, I think was seven years ago, I started um, to act on this sense of calling that I had that I was meant to move to a new area. Um, I had been living and work in the same community for close to 20 years, um, living and working in Werribee. And with a change of job into this role at the Baptist Union came this option um, to change location. And so I started looking to move to Geelong. And there are lots of things to consider. Who's moved house recently? bought a house, changed house, that could, lots of things to consider when you look to make a move like this. Of course, there's a whole slew of like financial and adult type decisions to make, like spending limits and mortgage options and market speeds, which might I say, I'm just going to pause to high five myself for buying into one of the fastest growing um, property markets now that everybody's realised you don't have to live in the city anymore. Geelong's like the, everyone's coming down there. Are you finding are people coming out here? People just going, right, to the, to the regions. Anyway, there are more practical aspects I had to consider, like access to the freeway so I could, you know, drive for my work, um, the number of rooms you need, the amount of garden I could possibly hope to maintain, which is like the amount of garden I could pay someone else to maintain, Let, let's just face it, let's be realistic about our, our limitations there. Um, but a primary motivator for me um, and for the move was that I wanted to locate myself more intentionally in proximity to the people that I wanted to do life with. I was well engaged in the local church there, and so I wanted to live close to it and to other people who are part of that community. And of course, there's a few wishes, you know, amongst that in terms of the style of the home or the character of the home, the, the number of trees, you know, what it's close to, other preferences that ultimately would give way to more sort of significant and grown-up values. But as I was processing all of these things, the sense that grew to a conviction in me um, was it that it wasn't just a matter of choosing where to live but choosing how to live. How do I want to live? If I'm starting with a blank canvas and almost everything, every option is on the table, what is going to be the overarching framework for how I decide? And this question kept reverberating. How do I want to live? And that was an entirely different way to look at things. Not just where, but how. Quite a few things rose to the surface as I considered that and shaped my priorities. But they, they could best be summarised in this way, that I wanted to live in community. 
like actually in community. I want to live within walking distance to a community hub of shops and activities so they could play and shop locally. Um, I want to live in location that's easily accessed by other people because, you know, I want to develop relationships with my neighbours. I had lived in my previous home for 17 years and did not know the name of anyone on my street. Okay, you don't need to do Thanks. Just one moment to deal with my shame. <laughs> Lauren just went, oh, like she's really disappointed in me now. Um, it's okay, I'm disappointed in myself too. No, I want to have a home that allows um, me to host and nurture community uh, through shared hospitality, warm inclusion. And the list could go on if I were to continue beyond that sort of geographical, practical consideration. But it's this filtering that I went through that um, led me to purchase the home that I now live in. Drum roll, please. This is my house. Isn't it cute? I love it. It doesn't kind of glow with that glowy real estate vibe anymore, but... um, But this is the house that I found. Now, the first thing I did when I moved in, um, it had a a six-foot-high fence right across the front of the property and two big kind of security gates on the front um, driveway. And so I had that... I felt like it was the only house in the street that had a high fence, and I felt like people talked about it. Who's behind the fence? I don't know. My cat went in there once. I've never seen it again. Like... I heard that, you know, like, I felt like it was that house, completely contrary to the, the vibe I was trying to give off. So I had it trimmed down to sort of the yay high. And then now on that top layer of lawn, there's a picnic table and an umbrella. And we do a lot of our eating and hanging out um, in our front yard, which is really disconcerting to people who walk past because it's sort of like walking past, you're like, hi. <laughs> um, and then on the bottom layer of grass is a 10-foot um, diameter trampoline. And the word is out in the neighbourhood, on the street, you're allowed to jump on it. And so kids, because there's a school right at the end of my street, kids come and they drop their bag at the thing and they have a couple of jumps, grab the bag, run off. One, it backfired on me one night when I'm lying in bed and wake up at one o'clock in the morning and can hear like, it felt like they were talking in my bedroom. And I'm like, who is that? And it's this group of teenagers jumping on the trampoline as they're wandering the streets. And they, you could hear them like doing that thing where they're talking a lot louder than they think they are. I'm jumping on a trampoline. Oh. Okay, go away now. Um, I mean, in community, you're welcome. Just not now. But anyway, so I moved in, and and as I continued to flesh out this choosing how to live philosophy, another key aspect that started to crystallise for for me was the idea of living an interruptible life. Now, as I said, in my previous home, I didn't know any of my neighbours. I was writing to, like I had a large home, I was writing to hosting dinner parties and ministry events and things out of my house and it was pretty active, but I was really guarded about my downtime and, and home time. And so here's some more confessions. Are you ready, Lauren, to be more ashamed of me? Um, on my days off, I would just switch into advanced sloth mode, like neck level, right? I would, you know, I mean, I don't keep a super clean house at the best of times, but there were no cares given about my house on my days off. And I would try if I could possibly manage it to stay in my PJs all day. And I'd eat a lot of food straight from the pan or straight from the packets and just like leave it where it falls kind of vibe. And so, you know, up shoes, bags, clothes, dishes, whatever, wherever. And then if I had people coming over, I had to do that massive power tidy, you know, where it's just like you've never got so much cleaning done in 10 minutes in your life, um, that. Or when the, I have a cleaner because 
I know my limitations. Um, when she was coming around, you know, doing the kind of sprint cleanup just to sort of, so there's stuff for her to clean, you know, not like not just a, an, a, um, an obstacle course to go around. But so often, I'd be at home and someone would come to the door and I'd look at myself <laughs> and I'd look at the house and I'd look at the time and I'd mute the TV, I'd silence my phone and I'd hide, right? I'm just like, Now, this is not just people who are, you know, wandering the streets trying to sell me solar panels or something like that. This is people I knew, right? I'm just like, I am ashamed. I can't, you know, and as I say, don't worry, like, you can't judge me more than I'm judging myself right now. But when I moved into my new place, when I, you know, where living in community was going to be the guiding premise and I was set to be intentional about choosing how to live, I added this mantra that I wanted to live an interruptible life, that I would always be ready to answer the knock on the door, that I wouldn't be caught out ashamed to show my house or my face and miss an opportunity to connect with people. So I actually got super practical about it. I actually bought matching real pyjamas because I figured maybe I can answer the door in these, right? Like if I look like they're actually an intended outfit. Um, I, you know, was um, working at keeping my house a bit more visitor ready and also just working at having more margin in my life, you know, so that when someone knocks at the door, I'm not already 10 minutes late to something or I'm cramming a, a sermon or a report that I have to submit. And I think among the many things that COVID brought to us last year, it was the lesson that interruptions come, right? Even the most planny of planners did not see a global pandemic coming when they sat down with their little you know, colour-coded system of marking out their year, right? No one saw that. And in fact, perhaps the most planniest of planners were the ones that were affected the most because there were more plans to upheave, upheave and disrupt. But more than just, am I ready to answer a knock at the door? I think COVID asked us and keeps asking us, how tightly do we hold our plans? How much do we think we're in control how well or not well do we respond to change of plans? How flexible are we? James addresses that in, in, verse, uh, in chapter 4, and this is the passage that we're going to sort of unpack a little bit together today and the, the message that I, I want us to really allow to speak personally to us. How interruptible is our life? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why you, don't, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a myth that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. What is your life? For some reason, I feel the need to say that in a British accent. What is your life? I don't know. It just, that's how it, when I read it, that's how it comes to me. What is your life? Seriously, who do you think you are, James is saying? Do you think you're in charge here? Do you think you can just say, oh, I'm going to go study psychology at Deakin and then just do it? Like, who do you think you are? What is your life? You know, I'm going to, I can just say, I'm just going to go traveling and then I can go traveling. Who are you? <laughs> What do you, why do you think you have that kind of control or that kind of power? I think COVID wasn't just the big disruptor of our plans. I think COVID reminds us that we are not the one in charge of our plans. 
Instead, you ought to say, says James, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, this is what it truly looks like to live an interruptible life, a life that if it isn't already on track with the will of God, (laughs) is ready to be interrupted and redirected and realigned with what God desires for us and of us. And Jesus demonstrated this over and over in his in his time on earth. Because if you look at his ministry, so much of what he, what he did was in response to interruptions. He was on his way to heal Jairus's daughter. And when he encountered the woman with the issue of blood and he paused to see who it was who had touched his robe and he stopped to offer her healing and, and affirmed her faith. That's in Mark chapter 5. Well, Jesus was in a house church you know, gathering one time with when some guys literally <laughs> interrupted by way of the ceiling and they lowered their um, paralyzed friend down on a mat through a hole in the roof and Jesus paused and he healed him and he announced the forgiveness of his sin. That's recorded in Luke chapter 5. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem when he came across 10 lepers who, you know, everybody sort of get out of the way, Jesus is coming and he's like, no, stop. And he heals them and sends them on their way. That's in Luke 17. You could probably think of more examples. The woman at the well, the children that Jesus drew to himself. It goes on and on. He modelled a life open to interruption, a life open to the Spirit, open to the prompt of God, open to opportunities to bless and to serve and to heal and to encourage, even if it was out of the way or as an imposition on otherwise planned movement for his day. Um, In the parable of the Good Samaritan, we actually see, you know, amongst a whole lot of other lessons and instructions, it's a picture of a person who's prepared to be interrupted from their own life to save and to bless another person. It wasn't just about race and finances, it was about availability. The Good Samaritan had a willingness to be interrupted and to respond to God's prompt. And Jesus himself, you know, clearly demonstrates his life of being ready to be interrupted, but he was also the great interrupter. <laughs> if you look at it, you know, you think about particularly the calling of his disciples. Simon, Peter and Andrew, they were fishing and he just says, follow me. James and John were actually preparing their nets and he says, follow me. And the text records that they followed him immediately, just dropped what they were doing. Matthew was interrupted at his workplace. He, Jesus comes up to him at the tax collector's booth and he says, follow me. And it's like Matthew puts his pen down and stands up and and responds. But then we also see the example of the rich young ruler. And Jesus said, well, you need to have your life interrupted. You need to be disrupted. Sell everything, follow me. And he chose not to. In Luke 14, Jesus tells a parable to illustrate this importance of readiness to respond. The parable of the great banquet where they send out invitations to everybody to attend and people come back with all sorts of excuses. I've bought a new field, I've got five oxens that I need to work, I've just got married. And in verse 33, Jesus essentially says, if you can't give up everything, you can't be my disciple. We're called to live an interruptible life in the big and the small aspects of our lives. We need to live like we're not in control because we're not, right? We need to live ready to respond to the call of God to follow him wherever he's asking us to go, whenever he calls. So here's our question this morning. How interruptible is your life? Can you answer a knock on the door? Could you answer a call of God? 
And I want to unpack that a little bit further. And I've got four things that I think living an interruptible life might require of you. And as we look at these four, might you be sensitive to which of them God illuminates specifically for you that's most relevant for you? Let's lean in to find out what he would say to us. And the first one there is just that we would slow down, that we would slow down. For many of us, the thing that makes us uninterruptible is that we are just moving too fast and we have zero margin. Here's my classic personal example of this, confession time again. See, I'm away from home. It's good to come and just be among friends where I can just like lay it all out. If you could just absolve me at some point and release me, that'd be fabulous. But I was, um, on, on one side of my home is a, an elderly lady, and for months I lived there unconvinced that anyone actually lived in the house. Like, she was so reclusive in her lifestyle, and obviously most of her living spaces were on the other side of the house. Never saw lights on, you know, all that kind of thing, but people in the neighbourhood told me that someone lived there. So when co- the first lockdown hit, I, I wrote a little letter, gave her my name and number, and put some chocolate in her letterbox, and sort of tried to make this connection with her. And, and she sort of messaged back and, you know, thanks for that and it'd be good to meet you at some point. So apparently there was someone in there. And the time came, I'm leaving my house. Um, t- like the doctor's appointment that I was going to was starting like at that time. So that's how late I was, right? So I'm leaving at starting time. Um, and I'm running down the steps of my house, which face her house and I see her, like the first sighting of the elusive neighbour, I see her in the window, and I'm like, so I just like put my head down and pretend I didn't see her, (laughs) hopped in the car and drove off. And I'm like, I've been praying and waiting for this opportunity to meet her, but I thought I can't like say, oh, hi, I'm Kim, and I can't talk to her, bye, bye. Like, it's better not to talk to her at all than to have to do that. And I was just moving too far, we need to slow down if we're going to be able to handle the things that we're asking God to give us opportunity to be part of. Slowing down our schedule so we're more ready to see who God puts in front of us and to respond to those opportunities when they arise. You know, leaving margin, having a more open schedule, not timetabling every last moment so that there's no room for the spontaneous or responsive. You know, not running behind or so tight that we don't we need to pretend we didn't see people just in order to keep life on track. You know, being able to stop for a conversation in the street or to help someone take their groceries to the car or to linger at your front gate to to talk to a passing neighbor. A little while back, we were at an event and I was talking to someone who I had just met and she said, oh, how did you come to be here? I said, oh, well, our neighbours introduced us. They've brought us along. And she's like, tell me, how do you get to have a relationship with your neighbours? I've been living in the same street for 10 years and I feel like I haven't got any further with it. And so we started sort of talking back and forward about, you know, what makes it possible for us to develop a relationship with our neighbours. And we landed at this point, which is that it takes more time than we normally have. There is no shortcut to meeting and connecting with people. You, there's not a fast track for it. It just takes time. It takes greater intentionality to have space in both our calendars and in our minds you know, so that we can respond and be ready to to reach out and connect and look for those opportunities. And she also noted that um, when they moved into their home, they'd built a high fence because their front yard was their play yard and they had little kids. And so for safety, they had to build the high fence. And I told her about my fence. She's like, oh, maybe that's actually not communicating 
what I want to communicate is communicating I want to keep the neighbours out rather than keep the kids in. So I gave her the business card of the guy who cut my fence down. It was a very fortuitous conversation. But slowing down, slowing down. The second thing there is releasing control. And for some of you, this word control just leaps right out at you. You know that you're a control nut. But I have a message for you, control nuts, directly from James. And he says, what is your life? What is your life? Why is it that you think you can be in control of how your life will go for you? Planning, scheduling, list making, goal setting, all of those things are legitimate adulting things to do with your um, your time. Bless you one and all who can manage this kind of organisation because I'm genuinely in awe. But those things do not... Um, they, they are mechanisms by which we track our progress and we maximise our time. They do not make us in control. Just because you put it on a list doesn't mean it's going to happen. You haven't just reordered the universe around your list. All right? It's a way for you to maximise your time and to, to track your progress, but you are not, we are not in control. And when we think we are in control, we have lost sight of who is truly directing our path and who is truly writing the story of our lives. Here's another control thing that we can do. Sorry if I'm reading your mail this morning. But we make plans and then ask God to bless them. Dear God, I want to be a primary school teacher. Please make that happen. Amen. And then we start down that path with our blinders on, potentially missing all the signs that might tell us that this wasn't what God planned for us and wondering, you know, why is everything so hard? I asked you to bless it and you're not blessing it. Or we miss the enjoyment of watching God open doors and lead us in the direction, even if it is towards primary school teaching, that we get, you know, because we think we are the ones who made it happen because we prayed it and we dreamed it and we made it so. Back in the olden days, Christians used to sign off their letters. These are the letters on pen and pa- like on paper with pen. So this is how olden days we're talking, right? Um, but they used to sign off their letters with DV. Any Latin scholars in the room know what DV stands for? <laughs> Did you say something, something? <laughs> yes, Deo Valente, which means God willing. So their, their letters would be, this is what I'm planning to do, this is where I'm planning to be, this is how everything's going, and I sign it if God wills it to be so. Okay, this is all, I'm holding this on an open hand, um, trusting, acknowledging that his plans are better than mine, and I'm just doing what I know or I, what I believe until he shows me best or better. The third thing there, tuning in. I think a big part of living an interruptible life is actually being tuned into God enough that we are alert to his interruptions. Our biblical examples, you know, from earlier, they had this physical Jesus bowling up to someone and saying, follow me. It's like, I think Jesus wants me to follow him. I can get that vibe. He's right in front of me, like going like this. But for us, when we don't have that physical um, manifestation, that our promptings are going to be more subtle and more nuanced and more uh, reflective of the depth of relationship we have with God and our capacity to hear him speak to us and to recognise that is Jesus standing next to me saying, follow me, to know know his voice. And that's a a learned and practised capacity of walking in step with the Spirit so that we know quickly and assuredly 
that we are aligned with where God is leading us or, or if we're being redirected. And, and different people will express that to you differently. I have a sense that this is not quite right. You know, I, I, I went to do this, but I felt that there was a resistance. Like there's a, a nuance to all of our own experiences of that because it's t- specifically um, shaped and created and, and nuanced around our individual relationship with God. So this is about practices of prayer and worship and generosity, Bible reading, devotional times, serving, you know, all the ways in which we grow in intimacy of relationship with God and our, in our connectedness to his heart so that we would see as he sees and we would hear as he hears and we would respond as he leads. So the question there is, have you invited God to speak into your daily decisions, into your future goals? Have you asked him if you're where you're meant to be? Have you checked in with his plans for your life? And the final thing there is saying yes. And ultimately, and listen carefully to this, ultimately living an interruptible life is based on the premise that you think the life God has for you is the best version of your life there is. Let me say that again. Living an interruptible life has to be based on the understanding or the the premise, the commitment that you make, that you think the life God has for you is the best version that your life could possibly experience. It's the best story of your life that could be written. Not my way can you bless it, but your way is always going to be better than mine, even if it doesn't look like what I want it to look like right now. So it's saying yes, it's recognizing his ways are higher, his thoughts are greater, his wisdom is wiser, his love is perfect, and his desires for you are far more pure than anything you could desire for yourself. And so it's saying yes to that. I want that God. I want your version of my life. It's saying yes to the invitation to be part of his big story, to to living a life on mission for him, to measuring our success in kingdom ways, to valuing what he values, rejecting what he rejects. It's, It's saying yes to his mission being the ultimate purpose and the ultimate direction for our lives. So we circle back to the original question. What is your life? No, that's not the original question. How interruptible is your life? How interruptible are you? How open are you to recalibration or redirection? How leaned in are you to know and follow God's perfect plans for your life? How ready are you to respond to his call? How willing are you to drop everything and follow that call immediately? How attached are you to your own plans and your own desires How regularly do you hold up what you believe and know to God to check that you're on the right track? How interruptible are you? And the follow-up question there, what might an interruptible life require of you? Slowing down, making space in your calendar, your finances, your heart, your mind. Maybe it's about releasing control. How tightly do you hold your plans and dreams? How much do you act in a way that shows that you think God is in control rather than you. Tuning in, what practices might you employ to to practice the presence of God in your life, to deepen your intimacy with him, to grow in your confidence to identify and respond to his voice? And have you said yes? 
Have you truly wrestled with the idea of wanting to live God's chosen, you know, version of your life more than your own version? Do you need to do some submitting and surrendering of your will in that? Let me pray as you continue to reflect. It always blows me away, Lord, that your plan for the redemption of the earth is to send us, to invite us to be part of your redemptive story, that you draw us into mission and ministry, that you give us gifts and capacities and passion and experience that shapes us to be purposefully engaged in seeing your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What an incredible thing it is that you include us. And Lord, even just now in this moment, we repent of the times, the many, many times when we've been so busy pursuing our life, even pursuing what we thought and hoped was your version of our life, without checking in with you to see that we're on the right track. God, for the times that we've even so busied our life and filled our space with noise that we haven't heard your knock, we haven't heard your interruption. Father, would you just prompt each of us today, what is it that we need to do to make ourselves more interruptible? How might you be prompting us to to just move in a slightly different direction, to, to, you know, be shifting something of our attitude, our focus, our, our, um, our intent. Thanks that you will do that work gently by your spirit, that you will keep prompting us if we would remain soft and open to you. God, have your way. Have your way. And, and as we, as this church, as our church, my church here, my home church, as we respond to this, God, what an incredible thing it is to imagine the impact that could be wrought. Lord, the, the random conversations, the capacity to serve and help, the responsiveness that we would be ready to, to demonstrate into a whole range of circumstances if we would just do the work of slowing down and tuning in and saying yes and being ready to respond to your call. God, what an incredible impact this church would continue to have if we would all take up that mantle to live an interruptible life. God, have your way, we pray. Amen. Amen.